Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Dr. Karuna Ramanathan, a transformational leadership expert with nearly three decades of experience in supporting senior leaders and organizations through difficult transformations. He is a former naval warship captain who went on to lead an architect leadership transformation and systems level change in the Center for Leadership Development. Karuna is currently the principal consultant for KR Consulting, bringing with him deep experience gained from designing and facilitating more than 2,500 sessions. He is a Marshall Goldsmith Global Certified Coach, Global Coach Group Certified Leadership Coach, and a trained Erickson Executive Coach. Karuna is an expert in large system change programs, co-creation and collaboration techniques, organizational storytelling and narratives, and tacit knowledge elicitation transfer methods. He has more than 2,000 paid coaching hours with senior leaders and nearly 1,000 pro bono coaching hours, helping leaders grow. Karuna's book, Navigating the Seas of Change, published in 2020, is a leadership primer for change leaders. Karuna has been featured as Top 10 Organization Development Consultants 2023 by the Asia Business Outlook and nominated by the CEO Insights Asia, a business magazine, as one of Asia's Leaders and Achievers 2023. His expertise in growing leaders and building teams is available to help you become an internal and self-starting change agent and start your journey to navigating through organizational transformation. Good morning, Karuna, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you, Mary. It's a real privilege to be here, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. It's so wonderful to talk with you today, and I must let our, our listeners know that there's a 13-hour difference. So while it's a, I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon, it's 6 a.m. for you. So <laughs> we're at different <laughs> levels of awakeness. <laughs> Good morning, but that really underscores how connected people actually can be these days. You know, I mean, years ago, this would be incredibly difficult to do, but but here we are. That's right. Central U.S. to Singapore. So that's wonderful. <laughs> nice, nice. Totally. Great, great. Looking forward to sharing some thoughts this morning or oh, in the evening. <laughs> that's right. Well, let's begin. Will you tell us what is the first job you ever had? Straight out of school. And in Singapore, it's it's mandatory national service for two years for males. So I went into the army for that national service stint. But, but about two months into it, I actually had an opportunity to think about signing up in the Navy, which I took and gladly they accepted it. I mean, I'm thankful that they actually accepted that. And uh, then the results in the school exams came out. And then uh, before I knew it, I was on a plane to the UK. And uh, and and on, on that uh, one year stint, it was at the Britannia Royal Naval College. Uh, that was really the entry uh, for me into pretty much a lot of the work I do today. And I'll say a bit more about that. But that started the work in the Navy, and I stayed in the Navy for 19 years, of which uh, 11 years, just over 11 years was at sea. And out of the 11 years at sea, about five and a half years was in command of two warships. So, uh, and that that's that's in the Singapore Navy. Uh, at, at about, after about 19 years, there was opportunity to stay on for another decade, but I, I made that deliberate choice of stepping away from it because uh, the separation uh, at home and in relationships was not working too well. And uh, as you would expect, uh, long periods of separation. And uh, my, my kids were young. They were like six and nine then when they stepped away from it. Uh, and it was a, well, perhaps one of the very good decisions I made in my life because it then allowed me to do a few things, move away from something that I obviously enjoyed at that time, 
but also uh, allowed me to start being at home to do those things that were expected of me. And it opened a whole accidental opportunity. Instead of leaving the Navy and leaving, looking for some other civilian uh, position to be uh, considered for a position in the newly formed leadership center in the Singapore Armed Forces. So I spent a decade there. And a lot of the work we do today is uh, because of that opportunity stretch that I had there to experiment with all kinds of difficult concepts uh, in how you lead people and how you actually help people change and support them through change in difficult times. A lot of that formatting happened there because there was actually enough time to work with people, uh, thousands of them, to actually get a sense of what might work and what might not be so practical. And the leadership world actually suffers from that because there's a lot of theory and idealism out there, but we actually have to deal with real people. So after 10 years of that, uh, Mary, then I actually had a step out. Uh, it was called retirement in the military. So it's kind of funny how 30 years creeps up on you really quickly. And then and the next thing you know, you're 50. And then, uh, then, and then again, another opportunity came. It was not exactly presented in a plate, but... But uh, I stumbled on it, and uh, it gave me three years in the Singapore government, uh, helping people change and helping helping organizations change, bringing senior leaders together, uh, kind of working that. Of course, uh, the 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 work is rooted in organizational development, which I know in the U.S. is quite is quite front and center. But but uh, the, while some of the principles are there and some of the techniques are there, you are dealing with leaders. And so leadership became an important ask. And I guess that was the advantage I brought because of my more than a decade long work with leaders and, and uh, now doing organizational development work. It kind of gave me a different brand. So I was uh, Singapore government's most senior organizational development consultant for about two, two, close to three years. And then... Uh, opportunity came out and I asked myself, what was I, what was I really doing? And and uh, titles aside, and I said, let's step out. And so for the last close to seven years, I've been doing this outside with a small growing team of associate consultants who are all like-minded. And our single mission is to actually help people become better versions of themselves so that they can influence other people to do really good work. Gosh, there's so much that you said that I would like to talk about, but picking up on that very focused mission. I see that with the people that I interact with, the leaders that I interact with. And it's a bit of my grand mission because I'm very focused on conflict, conflict in organizations and helping people have healthier work environments through having a strategic plan for dealing with the inevitable conflict that arises. But I really love this, this focus that you have cutting through the theory cutting through the obsession people have with numbers and labels to, I think you really got at the heart of it. How do we help leaders? Say say your mission statement again. I just love the way that you encapsulated your mission in a, in a sentence. Uh, it comes out of different versions. And so now that's that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, how, how do you help leaders help others to do their best at work? Uh, it just... Because in organizations, uh, leaders find themselves in positions. Uh, these positions, either I, you know, you get there, however you might get there, you've probably earned your right to be there, and 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 that's no taking that away from them. And a lot of times, the way organizations are structured, in a lot of instances, the focus 
naturally doesn't default to people. Now, there are reasons for that because you have all your responsibilities and accountabilities, but that consciousness, that awareness, that that because the very same person going back home over the weekend is a leader with people at home. There's no way you're going to be able to manage your family. I mean, you don't manage your family, you lead your family. You, you, so so you have those skills. We all do have that. It, it's a, it's, I call it a bit of a reset button. How do we reset leaders at work so that they become more conscious of the people around them? It is not so, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing what you know now, if you were to transport yourself back to the warships that you led, what would you do differently as a leader? There was a lot that I got away with. <laughs> if you're a religious person, I mean, you just thank God for all those times, you know. But but I think a very important lesson for me, uh, it was a major lesson for me, and I, I say this quite openly now because it it actually translates into a lot of leadership theory and, 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 and that, that academic stuff, uh, is the first warship was nothing more than 48 meters long. Uh, it was a mine hunter and it had a crew of 35. And we did some amazing work, great work. I mean, it's still etched in, in I think, in, in the Navy's history about the work that we did for two years. But it, it boiled down to small team leadership. And it meant being relational to people all the time and basically being uh, in a complete network of knowledge and 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 everyone on that on that boat was actually pretty intensely knowledgeable about what they did and where they are. it was a it was a very tight crew uh, Mary to actually say put it simply and we and we were so intense that you actually they spent days away from home even though you were in harbor no one felt the compelling need to rush home because they just wanted to continue to bond it was amazing the two years after taking a break in the staff college in singapore for military officers i i, I did pretty well and basically i had a choice uh, and a request of a larger ship posting which i i made and i i was gratefully given and that now is 150 meters long, and it has several decks in storage. It carried two helicopters, and it had about a crew complement that was three times the size of uh, the previous crew. My reflection to your question is I should have, if I had a chance to tell Karuna back then, you have to shift your leadership style. Because that very same methodology or that approach or that, that leadership style would confine yourself to your preferred 35 among the 150. And I really, really do think sometimes as to how those other 70, 80 good people might have felt. So, so yes, of course, it was big, it was difficult. We can make all kinds of excuses and justifications, but actually leadership boils down to influence. And I think the influence was very limiting given that style and the problem with that is, uh, as unintentional as it was, the impact must have been quite distressing for some people. Now, uh, the thing about leadership and its measurement is you never can measure leadership. It's actually going to be relatable to how people see you years later. 
So, so uh, I will just, I do have these thoughts once in a while to actually wonder how, how they would describe this back then and the impact. So not, not a very nice, uh, not a very nice comparison, but we say this in, uh, so how does the theory apply to this? Direct leadership is where many of us start off with when we first start work. We actually learn to work in small teams, work groups. We're very close. We like some people. We make, we forge bonds. We have, we, we actually get, we do our best to get along well with people. I mean, there are a few sour pusses, but, but generally people are decently, you know, interested in others. It starts to get more difficult as you get into organizational positions, which is where many leaders find themselves in today. And it gets even worse when those positions become necessarily strategic. So if you're looking at C-suites, you're looking at C-minuses, they are completely absorbed in the strategy, the bottom line, the financial state of the organization. And the people around them might not get the attention they believe they should be getting. And that's where all kinds of trouble starts. So how do you then help these very good people use that moment, use that elevator, use that coffee machine point, become more conscious? And that's what we do, Mary. I mean, that is really what we do. You have a lot of time. You just, you're saying that you have no time is actually, yeah, it deserves a rethink. We have a lot, we, we can make choices. We can, we can walk with people. We can stop. We can sit in the lobby for five. We can get there earlier in five, 10 minutes. I do that all the time. Hang around the lobby, wait for the next elevator, smile, that, that kind of thing, you know? And these tweaks that we make, uh, in the work we do actually uh, are really appreciated by leaders. I mean, I'm running a workshop on uh, Thursday with uh, 60 uh, middle managers and and uh, my, my colleague asked me, how should we arrange the room? I said, how should they arrange the room? It's, 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 it, is, it is them. It is now that you're here, why are you, why are you not taking the opportunity to move your chair and sit with someone? And what's the reason for that? So, so these are the little things. It's no longer the theories. It's no longer, I, it, there are some very good infographics out there, but for a large part, whatever you see on LinkedIn is probably not terribly practical. And I'm, I don't want to offend people who do this very well, all well-intentioned, but I think we can turn our active scanners on. We can we can actually we can actually range ourselves out. We can be quite deliberate in what we do. We can be, if you know there's a staff canteen, the CEO should be there. That's where I am with this right now. Uh, I hope this is making sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, right, good leadership is reflective leadership, intentional leadership, and you know the this paradox of time, the leader has so many demands on him or her and really does feel the pressure of time. But the paradox of time is when you invest in your people, you have more time because totally. they're more empowered and then they're going to feel more um, able to be, they're going to feel more competent and they're going to be more courageous and they're going to make these decisions that take things off your plate. And so the more you invest in your people intentionally, strategically, then you get that return on investment in spades. It, it just, it, it grows. When you invest in people, you, you you give your power to other people, they grow and you grow along with them. Some of the best, it's a great point you make, you know, uh, some of the best leaders I've worked with in the last couple of years uh, kind of 
instinctively know this. I'll give you an example. I, I work with an excellent, I mean, she, she is an amazing CEO and she would turn up and she would immediately start the mingle, you know. Uh, there is no holding room with her. There is no briefing notes with her. There is no, there's no uh, grand entrance with her. It's always the back entrance. There's no front seating with her. And yet this very same person, and, and it's because I, I, I also have the privilege of coaching senior leaders, is naturally introverted. Uh, mm. And so basically, it must be exhausting to actually do that, you know, to get out of your comfort zone, natural comfort zone, and actually kind of get in front and center with people and make yourself available and sit. This leader actually does not sit in her office at the 12th or 13th floor. She actually emerges from those uh, meeting rooms uh, and she says, no, I'm just looking for quiet corners, you know, but actually it's it's a ploy, I would half imagine, to actually be at the pantry, at the ground floor. It's like, and she's got tons of work to do. I mean, like, they all are consumed in, in the real stresses, right? So I, I empathize with leaders. I, I actually cringe when we label leaders as bad leaders. I've often been asked, what do you do with toxic leaders? I say, that's a really, I mean, I have a, I've had I've had studied this stuff and I've had, I have a PhD in leadership, but my point is that word is really, really very rare. A toxic leader is, is an absolute nutcase that has been unleashed, unbridled, come un, unhooked, unhinged. And you see that in family businesses, you see that in, in some of those settings, but in a in a functioning organization. Saying that a leader or some level of leadership is toxic is actually a very, very strong and negative uh, frame. It's, it's totally unnecessary. Okay? So, so we we need we need to just help leaders going back to the mission, choosing to become better versions of themselves, to be more impactful, and the tweaks that we can make actually are actually quite obviously simple, uh, but they have actually quite profound impact on people. When I think about leadership, I think a lot of it is very simple. Conflict management, I think it really is simple. And yet it's very difficult to do. I think it's psychologically challenging. And whether we're an extrovert or an introvert or whatever our natural our tendencies are, we could just get really wrapped up in the environment we find ourselves or the importance of our work or whatever it may be. And so it seems to me that it's making a decision and it's being intentional about who we are, what our mission is, and how we're going to carry it out, being being strategic in the everyday. And I think about that with conflict. If you don't have a plan to deal with your conflict, it won't be dealt with. You're going to have unmanaged conflict. Conflict, we know, is not the problem. It's the unmanaged conflict. So how do you coach leaders if they are a bit conflict-averse, if they don't really know what's going on in their organization and there are no mechanisms to tell them the truth? How do you coach leaders to to put those mechanisms in place so that people have a place to voice their concerns and address conflict? Wow, uh, you know what, uh, Mary? There's so many parts in that. Uh, you know, let's start. Let's start with the overarching. Um, there's this view on psychological safety that's quite a raging right now um, internationally. Um, Amy Edmondson's work out of Harvard, amazing work. Yeah. But really, 
the problem with that is uh, it is not culturally centered. So you have people who will speak up, and I've you know take Israel for example. If you've been there, you can't you can't shut people up. They're just going on and on and on, and everyone has a view and wants to front the view. Then if you work in say uh, paternalistic cultures, you know like Japan, Indonesia, you're not going to have anyone saying anything. Um, but it's a lot brooding in people, uh, a lot brooding. And uh, now you have that trend, or at least in Singapore, uh, Randstad just ran a survey and it's, it's highly contentious. They asked a thousand people, how many of you have given up at work? And apparently 350 people said so. It's called quiet quitting. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. quite amazing, right? Yeah. One in three, right? Okay. Uh, you, do we call them disengaged? Do they call, are they just doing the bare minimum uh, or are they conflicted? And they are. And it is the way one is treated at work. Yeah. Because all of us, you and I and everyone else out there, when work is a means to an end. That it's, yeah, there are some of us who really are in privileged positions. I am. I'm sure you might well be. Uh, you love what you do. Right. But the real test in that is, would you, if you love what you do, would you do it for free? Right. <laughs> No, I expect to get paid. <laughs> so I expect. So it's immediately contractual, right? So yes. I expect to be treated well doing what I am capable of doing so that I can get paid and I can go back to living. So if you if you come with that model, then conflict is simply something that kind of brews in you each time there is an interaction, a relational interaction, and you feel you've not been treated too well. The same for leaders. So they start manipulating, they start adjusting, they start shaping behaviors, they start... And, and in organizations, there is a very big untold space for the stories around how performance is rewarded. So you actually then have that. These are the behaviors that get you. So basically, if I do what the bosses want, if I don't care about the rest of it, if I just work with this boss, I will get promoted. And that's conflict-inducing in self. It, tends up, it tenses us up. It tenses the others whom we come into contact with. So in the coaching, to come to your question, in the coaching work, we do two things. We actually separate. And I, I, I know EQ has four components. It's been bandied around and it's a pretty good concept, you know, relational management, social awareness, self-management and self-awareness. But I specifically tease self-awareness and self-management apart. Now, why is that important? Because in a lot of us, uh, there is an, uh, she's an amazing person. I've, I listen to her TED Talks quite often, uh, Tasha Urich. Uh, out of America, you know, so I, I urge everyone to just go to her 20 minute TED talk. And she's, uh, I think she's off the, I think she's off California or somewhere. And she presented a 10 year study that suggested that on the average, when executives are asked, how self-aware are you? 85% uh, say they're self-aware. But when we went around and asked people around them, how self-aware you thought they are, you think these people are, is 14%. Now 14 and 85 is uh, worth looking at. <laughs> it's worth looking at. So we get immediately to the self-aware. Who, who am I? How have I got here? Where were the high points, low points? What am I repeatedly seeing myself do? And, and, and coaching gives senior leaders a safe space. 
So uh, we actually do, it's not as big here as it is in America, but I think senior leaders need to have coaching support because no one's going to go up there to them and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, was this intentional? Uh, Do you think we ought to be doing, you ought to be doing something about this because you're capable of being so much better. So, I mean, I'm a Marshall Goldsmith coach and and we do this all the time. I mean, I help you to see it. Now, should we be using 360? Should we be getting feedback? Uh, I'm actually an advocate of not doing a 360. Uh, I think one of the best things leaders can do is not vulnerability. It's a simple act of humility to actually get out there and say, you know what, how am I supporting you? How am I working with you? Is there something that you wish I could do better? And and a lot of that is relational, it's in conversation. It is that moment waiting outside the elevator. And I so for self-awareness, go get the feedback. And I tell them, put your phones away. I tell myself, put the phone away. Put that laptop away. Get get out of that iPad. You, you don't you use every conceivable moment at work to become more leaderful at work. Now, once we get that, then self-management becomes a question of choice. Who do you choose to be? What am I working on? And uh, in my work with leaders, we actually build that into their stories and narratives. So so in this workshop uh, that's happening in the middle of the week, uh, my probably my nudge to the leaders would be start talking about what you have obviously had to deal with over the years and it was one consistent pattern over working for 15 20 years so there's a great uh this is another another uh good tip right uh i run the how do you handle me exercise which means uh instead of trying to instead of trying to get feedback i actually get leaders uh, it's a marshall goldsmith exercise it's actually in his book what got you here won't get you there uh, write a two paragraph on what am I, who am I, and what do I, what am I prone to do, and what am I trying to become better at? And it's a huge exercise for most leaders. Um, they don't need help with work; they need help at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you said before, you know why? Why does somebody rise? Well, they're competent. But many times they're competent at being an engineer or they're competent yeah. in economics. They're at, they're competent in these big strategies. But it doesn't mean that you have a high EQ or that that's developed or that you know right how to, as you said, those little tricks that you could put throughout your day and the mindset that you give yourself so that you can understand what it means to be a leader. Because being a leader is part of it being in the people business. If you don't like people, you ought not be a leader. I think that's a prerequisite, really wanting to invest in others and see them grow. And as they grow, you grow as well. The organization, everybody benefits that that lovely symbiotic relationship of really wanting the good for the other, which is also the good for yourself and the good for the organization. And so this reciprocal altruism at work, where it's not one or the other. It's not the boss is the martyr for everybody else, or everybody else has to bow down to the boss. But this this reciprocal altruism where we all benefit when we all benefit. It, you know, and I, I, I totally align with that. It's it's actually something that is worth thinking a little bit more about. And, and, and also the problem with it is with all the new changes in how we approach work, actually the, the bar has gone even higher. 
in the last two, three years, because uh, it's impossible to have, I mean, the two of us are speaking like miles apart, right? And I have very little chance of understanding how you're actually being impacted by whatever I'm saying. But if we were standing outside an elevator, you could use body language, you could use all the nudges, you could use all those kinds of techniques. So it has become harder for leaders. But the problem with this is many of them simply see themselves as responsible, accountable people for the functions in which they have been put in position for. So the word leader is not it's not synonymous with leadership. Uh, leadership is influence. It is influence, and that influence is, I just kind of crunched this down, is actually quite straightforward. It is It is. It is not about how effective you are as a networker or how much of sales you can bring in. And there are those kinds of influence are actually vocational, professional influences, right? But leadership is that influence is relational and it is about relatability and when you do that then you start asking so how am i going to increase my influence quotient right it goes with how people how do you how how would you like people to see you arrogant uh come off it you could have a little bit of humility uh i wait a minute i think i'm making a mistake is that vulnerability no wait a minute i am thinking i think i may have not said that right wait a minute i'm sure i'm confusing you guys these are step downs they are actually step downs but underpinning that to be able to kind of come out that way quite often you would have to you would have to commit to practicing empathy. And, and that is a very trainable skill. So I actually do some of this work with putting yourself in other people's shoes. It's a mind shift, right? So walk into a room and stop looking at the screen. Look around and ask yourself what shoes they're wearing. I mean, what's happening in this person's life? Now, underpinning empathy is respect. And 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 for, I'm just heartened that for most people, they were brought up well. So basically as well as they could be. You know, some people actually have very difficult starts, but actually most of us are brought up well. And you find these people in organizations and, and respect is probably the single most important thing for organizations uh, besides, of course, the obvious choice of integrity. You know, I mean, you, you work with, I work quite a bit with government organizations in my background. I have to deal with this integrity thing and it's a really one or zero. I think for most major organizations who are not government, respect is either one or zero because the moment it shuts down in someone and this goes with conflict, right? The yeah. moment someone senses you're not respectful, that's the end of it. That relationship is smooth. I, I get that as a consultant every week. People don't like seeing me at the workplace. They say, what the hell is he doing here? Is that disrespectful or is that work for me? But I'm professional in that sense and all the work that I've done to be able to manage that. Most people can't deal with that. They feel slighted. They feel unhappy. And they smile because even though they are hurting inside, they are smiling, but they're not going to want to work with you. And that is really expensive for someone in a position or who's a leader. I hope I'm making sense, Mary. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, if a leader, if one of the things that the leader wants to inspire is high engagement and productivity, how yeah. do you get that? I mean, we talk a lot about belonging. Well, if you think about what is the opposite of belonging, a lot of times it's this feeling of being disrespected, of not being cared for. And once people start saying and giving themselves the story, the everyday worker, they don't care about me. Yeah. Well, if you don't care about me, then why do I care about 
going the extra mile, whatever I perceive that to be? Why do I care about what you care about or the mission of the organization? And that, as you said, is very expensive with with money, but it's also expensive for the individuals, for their psychological and physical well-being. Yeah. And so the cost to society, the cost to an organization for something that's unnecessary, it is unnecessary to treat people disrespectfully. It is unnecessary to make a, a an organization where people don't feel cared for. It's inexpensive to care for people. It's inexpensive to treat people well, and it, it yields dividends. And so the, the question is, why is this such a problem? It's a huge problem of people not feeling like they matter. So uh, totally, totally spot on. And actually, it's as simple as this, right? Diversity and inclusion. I know in the United States, you actually have a, diverse, a diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging. And this mm -hmm. is it's a very nice uh, patch to that. But for us here, diversity and inclusion, diversity, uh, it, it's 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 quite fashionable to say that. It, it's like a it's like a corporate uh, claim, but uh, it's simple. It's to to me and the work I do with leaders is straightforward. Diversity is representation. You actually can design it. You can be quite deliberate about what you do and show to others especially people outside your organization that you celebrate diversity. There's another level to diversity, a lot of research and 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 I uh, in teams have shown that diversity is actually is going to increase team performance. So there is a lot of merit in designing for diversity. But diversity is probably going to be limiting until and unless it actually is accompanied by inclusivity. And inclusivity, I know in the US there are laws around it. But to me, as a leadership coach and as a transformation consultant, inclusivity is simply the act of a leader. It's a, it's a leadership act. It is actually the it is actually the powerhouse in building your influence. So basically, if you want to build influence, you have to be inclusive, and that, Mary, is incredibly hard to do because we get triggered, we are experienced, we regard ourselves as professionals. And when someone says something that gets, we think is getting at us, the brain is shutting it down. And so that discipline is, we go back to self-awareness and self-management, is self-management. And so I cut leaders some slack. It's going to take a while for you to become better. There are ways to say, listen, I, I'm, I it happened in a conversation yesterday, uh, this, two days ago. So I'm, I was sitting with another consultant in a conversation. He became a little heated and this person is trying to redefine everything. And it's kind of obvious that there's a bit of uh, shaping, you know, into the conversation. And I I pulled my body back and I said, listen, you're being triggered. You're being triggered. Alarm bells are going. You're being triggered. And I said, and, and it's something we can practice. So I'm just going to pause here for a while because all my 20 years of work in this area, uh, I'm, I'm grappling with what you just said. I may have missed something. So I'm just going to reformat this a little and pass over to the other colleague to actually take over. A little... Pieces like this are things that leaders can do instead of like bending forward and getting into the power structure and then saying, you know what, you bloody listen to me, you know, I'm bloody. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to be helpful. So inclusivity is, is real, really serious work and they're all tied together. So if you go back yeah. to the phenomenon of quiet quitting, what really happened? What is it going to take to get you back? Is it is it that individual? Is it that 35% statistic? 
Or are there systemic issues in the organization that ought to be looked at? And you know what? This is what I do, Mary, because no one's going to be able to fix this from the inside because no one's going to want to talk about it. And 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 the other the paradox that organizational development consultants are dealing with is you've been taught to be nice, you've been taught to be relational, and and if you're nice, you're just not going to fix this terribly well. So so I actually do this work quite a bit, identifying the patches that which leaders can quickly sort out so that as individuals they become more effective and as a system as a collective leadership there are actually behaviors and actions that are not tolerated uh, at all and it's all an act of inclusivity so i hope again that's useful for the listeners i so agree with this really thinking about what it means to be inclusive and if we want to get those people who quiet quit who are still there how do we get them back sometimes it is just the simple act of being seen Somebody says our name, somebody remembers something. Somebody says, oh, Mary, did you have something that, you you know, you did this program last year. Can you tell me? And all of a sudden we are seen again. So those, there are these simple things that we can do within our organizations to help people to bring them back in. I mean, it's not always a simple fix because we do have to look at the systemic problems. And when I think about conflict, So I'm a mediator, workplace mediator, and I believe in the power, the absolute power of workplace mediation. And yet I think, okay, if there's this real problem brewing in an organization or a pocket of an organization, and you help these two people or a group patch it up, but now you're putting them back in this swampy pot. Yeah. You know, that's it. And so we need both. We need to be able to help people come together to restore their relationship to continue to work together. But we also need to do preventative, I call it preventative healthcare in organizations. How can we make it so that doesn't happen? What are the system issues? How did this even happen in the first place? And why has it been going on for years? That's a systems issue. And so we want people to take appropriate responsibility for their actions, but only for what they're responsible for. And they're not responsible for a checked out boss or an outdated system or, or, or. Yeah. Then again, you also have situations where the behaviors of leaders, senior leaders, uh, goes unchecked because no one's about to tell them that you should not be behaving this way. Oh, but I'm very successful. You know, I brought in 30 million sales, and and but you should not be behaving this way because people actually have a right to be treated well at work. It's as simple as that. It's 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 basic. It's a it's a basic human demand. Uh, to be treated well at work. So then we struggle with this, right? Are, are you being, uh, I'm going to use the term, uh, it's like Simon Sinek says, who's the asshole at work? And then everyone points to that asshole, right? I mean, it's very easy to do. You don't need an organizational climate survey. Just line everyone up and say, write down the name of the person you think ought to be given the term asshole. And you, I might just do this next week in the exercise, you know, and you just get that. But and yet you can't check the behavior of this person. And 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 some very senior leaders might find themselves uh, conflicted themselves because this very person whose behaviors are in question might actually be their most valuable person, you know, in terms of the business. So it's just a lot going on in organizations. It's not, it's not like I've moved away from the request to put people through a three-day leadership development program, I, a workshop. I know there are many good consultants and, and trainers who do that, but I, I really think they do need that time in the shower. They need that time walking the dog. 
They need the time waiting for the bus. They need the time just before they sleep to ask, hey, you know what? I can choose to be a better version of myself at work because there are real people around me. Listen, if you want to be an academic researcher stuck with tons of books around you and 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 you you can turn off the light in your room. I mean, when I was when I was doing my PhD, I actually went to see a supervisor and and I opened the door and I thought he was not in the room until there was a voice that called out from the dark room. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, it's bright outside the corridor lights, and then this room is all dark, and there are books around you know, busy supervisor, you know, professors, all books around the table. I just couldn't see him. (laughs) (laughs) You do whatever you need to do because you don't need to relate to people. You just need to get that research going. (laughs) But you can't do that in a cubicle at work. (laughs) All right, early morning, Joe. I I taught for over 20 years. My husband's an academic, so I understand that uh, very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it gets worse as we get older. (laughs) So when you think about your own work experience, and we all have issues at work, can you tell us about a difficult situation you had, either with another, a colleague or supervisor or organization, and how you dealt with it? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I mean, like most times, you know, I mean, over over 40 years of work, there have been some very um, unglamorous moments where I've actually flipped it. You know, we all have. We've just lost it for a while. But but uh, I see, well, at least in Singapore and in the region where I do work quite a bit, I see microaggressions at play. It's it's actually very serious. And, 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 and some of these, for example, um, oh, you're Indian. I said, yeah, I expect someone else, you know, it's like that. Uh, You get a little bit of that going on. So you just have to be careful. Come back to your question. You just have to be careful your triggers. And a lot of these triggers are actually uh, formed over time. So a good exercise would be to go to the what pisses you off. And and you don't need a coach for that. You just need to sit on a park bench and just, just figure that out. What pisses you off? I get angry when someone tells me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And and I've gone to great lengths to actually show that I can be capable of knowing what I'm talking about. So when someone says, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, that's a potential trigger. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I was, again, I said I was in a conversation where someone redefined the entire scope and I said, there's no basis for saying this, you know, academically or intellectually, or you're just trying to move away from the work. And should I get angry at you or should I pause? Um, How to deal with it? Take deep breaths. Uh, Feel your toes. Those are the mindfulness pieces, right? Right. So uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a sitting posture. I associate leaning back and feeling my back with a kinesthetic motion as to recentering yourself and then kind of sitting up again. Uh, and uh, I I actually have this exercise. I think it's in the somatic field uh, of work where when I'm a little confused about what's being said, I start mapping it visually uh, left and right, which means my eyes deliberately go, he said this, but it could be this. He, she said that, but it could be that. And people have actually said that they've seen me doing it. Why are your eyes moving left and right? See, I'm trying to I'm trying to re recenter it, you know, 
without reacting. So, so the teach on this is a pretty straightforward. You have a choice to respond. Why are you reacting? And it's not a very not a very nice thing, but I do remember some things that people say, and I and I bank it. I, we all do. We bank it away. We bank it away. And at some appropriate time, I laugh over that in story form with them. Remember, three days ago, you said this. I went back and I thought about it. Actually, I woke up in the middle of the night and I realized that, nah, this is not the way. To, I just make sure. And I went back to read some things on it. And I'm here to tell you that it might be helpful to think of it this way. It's a response versus you idiot. Where did that come from? <laughs> right. Response versus reaction, right? That's right. That's and right. When I think about conflict management, why I love the field is that it's it's freeing. It's about personal responsibility and, and personal efficacy, right? So I get to be in charge of my emotional responses. I get to be in charge of how I think about what somebody else said. And I love what you said about, you know, our triggers, because those are mine. And maybe somebody did something that other people might think is offensive, but I get to decide if that's about a gaping hole in me or there's something going on with that person, right? All of that, you know, that stoic, the stoic wisdom of I get to decide how I respond to the world that's given to me. I don't get to decide how other people respond or what other people think, but I get to decide what I think and how I'm going to respond, which goes back to what you said at the very beginning about being thoughtful and reflective. Wherever we are in an organization, conflict management starts with me, which is wonderful news that we don't have to wait for somebody else to solve our conflict. No, we don't. And and to accept that as a way of life, that it is going to happen. You're not being un, you're not being unlucky because why did you have to meet this person? Why is this person ruining my day? No, 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 no. It is it is our learning curve. It is becoming stronger. So I want to say something else here. The left-hand column, it's a term that we use to actually talk about how we actually process things in our head. There's this little voice in our head that's telling us, hey, he's out to get me. I know about him. This guy is actually sliming me in a meeting. I mean, why is it always like that with her? The left-hand column processes that, right? I think a lot of that discipline is in self-talk in that column. Why am I feeling this way? What is happening to me? It's almost, it's like, it's like just thought practice, right? When it's OD consultants, we actually pull back and we say, why, why am I, what you have to bring the use of self to work. And so you have to be present and you have to be aware and you have to do better at managing. I notice I said aware and manage are two different things. We can, we can, we can, we don't want to measure how self-aware someone is. Generally, they are quite low. We are all quite low in it. But we can start to work self-management and 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 we can have, I mean, go go get an ice cream. It will just cool you down. You know what I mean? Just go out. And I mean, I smoked for 20 years and I remember some of that was actually quite useful besides the health, uh, not benefits of it. But it allowed me to pause for seven minutes. So, so that's <laughs> putting it <laughs> You know, I haven't thought about Gestalt in a long time, but I think that's just such a lovely way of thinking about the narratives that we tell ourselves. We're always trying to connect the dots. That's what humans do. It's how human interaction is. We're trying to, we get bits of information and we, our brain's always putting things together. Yeah. Right? It's just, it's just normal. This is what we do. But once we can step back and see, oh, I connected the dots this way, but it doesn't have to be that way. I could yeah. see something else and that 
a lot of what is in our minds is a construction, but it's it's not a necessary construction. I happen to put together this way. That means I have the power to do something else with that. Totally. And and I'll say it slightly differently. Uh, my first reaction is to break down the wall. Hmm. Uh, why is this wall here? This is an obstacle. This person is an obstacle. This situation is an obstacle. I'm having a hard time. My second reaction, uh, reaction as well, reaction is how might I climb that wall? Because there's a part of me that says, you know, I'm successful. I can do this. There's all this drive that I can bring into this. I can conquer the situation. I can I can come out champion. That's my second reaction. My third is more a response, is deliberate practice. But how might I get around that wall? And going around that wall would require a little bit of reflection and thinking. And exactly what you said, there's more than one ways to look at this. How might this person look at it? Why is this person actually coming? So a bit of that actually is quite useful, you know. A first reaction is break down the wall. We all have it. Oh, we get angry. The second one is like, I'm damn good. I'm going to climb this. And the third one is largely a response. Step back. And if you're going to go around the wall, you don't have to see how high it is. You need to go back and see how wide it is. So that's exactly how those are little maneuvers I use sometimes. I, I love that picture. I'm thinking about instances in my own life where I thought, oh, I have to restore this relationship. This has to be this way. I, I've got to. I, and then, you know, being able to take a step back and say, when is it time to let go? Is this one yeah. of those instances? And I think as we grow as people and we emotionally mature, we can see why we think something is so important or why we're holding on so tightly and intentionally decide what our next step is going to be instead of acting out of fear, acting out of, well, this is just the way it has to be, but in a thoughtful, measured response. Totally, totally. And that maturity is critical to successful leadership. That means everyone's capable of it and you yes. don't have to be in a position in an organization to declare yourself a leader. So the larger vision, we spoke about mission, the larger vision uh, for me and my and, and the team that I lead in the work we do in Singapore and the region is every individual a leader. I love that. And I also really appreciate what you said about these are learned skills. You know, yes. so, you know, just like the the competency that the leader who's at the CEO has learned to get there when it comes to whatever it might be that they have, these are also learned skills. And it might take a little bit of time. That's okay. It takes time to learn to play the piano. It takes time to yeah. develop anything. These these skills, these values, putting values into to practice, how to do that practically. And, and we get that over time with the right habituation. And I 100% agree. No, I don't think anyone's a lost cause. It's no. what do you want to do? And yeah. let's map out how you're going to get there. Totally, totally. And of course, everyone's an individual in his or her own right. Yeah. And that choice is totally up to them. That's right. You can't make choices for people. That's right. And that's very freeing, isn't it? It is, totally. I'm ready to start <laughs> my day. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Corinna, for speaking with me. And I would like to hear your vision for what do you think that we need to do? If you think, you know, into the future, 10, 20 years, and let's suppose we have healthier work environments, 
what what is the work that we need to do to bring about a place where people are respected and flourish? I'm smiling because you're just going to make me say something. I say this increasingly these days, work is not going to take care of you. You are going to have to take care of work. Hmm. That's really going to be, it's all shifted back to people. It's all come back. There was this, there was this, messing of technology and seduction and right now is on AI and chat GPT and none of that's going to matter. It all comes back to where it started. It's all about people. And for organizations, that's quite a bit of a rethink because actually they are not human resources. They are real people. And yeah, and, and, and quiet quitting is just one very alarming trend of where it's going around in some companies so we have a lot of work to do, but that work is not about getting everyone in a leadership program. That it might help in some cases. That work is in awakening the person, the potential of that person in himself or herself. And and that reset button is for you to find. No one's going to find it for you. I agree with you. I think that's a hard message in an age where we are we're devoted to technology and we think yeah just it's that next thing that's going to solve it it's that next mechanism that next turn around the corner and almost as if the, the technology becomes the parent becomes the the solver and but it makes us all children where real development is treating people as adults which means caring about the human community instead of mechanizing and trying to turn people into machines because we're not Totally. Uh, 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 so, you know, there's a workshop coming up for 100 people that I would run. Uh, there's upper level leaders and and the CEO says, so so what's the plan? And I said, I, I don't know. Why don't we just let people figure it out? And he looked at me, stunned silence. And I said, that's what it is. Why don't you let your people figure out how they're going to spend half the day with each other? That's mm. really getting it there you know, to that level. And you, I, I expect to see some marvelous, but I expect also not to get paid in some cases. But the point is, you see magic when you just let people be. There's so much of power and potential. Oh, gosh. It's so outrageous that that's revolutionary. But that ability to trust people, to <laughs> let them, because they know so much and they want to be trusted and they want to be consulted and they want to be seen and belong and totally it's very liberating yes. give them give them back the power because they don't have power uh leaders have power but they 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 can take power at least for a while to actually talk about things that really matter and you don't need consultants running all over trying to fix your hr yeah. uh, people will fix themselves yeah we just got to get out of the way that's right totally that's right. totally well, thank you so much for spending your morning with us. I really enjoyed our conversation. Mary, thank you so much. It's a wonderful option. Like I say, you've got me all started for the morning and, <laughs> and I really hope the listeners enjoy a little bit of it. I am available should they wish to connect with me. Uh, please drop me a line at karuna at krk.sg. I will get back on email if anyone has deeper questions around what was shared. I'm more than happy to help you find that reset button. Oh, I appreciate that. And I'll put your information in the show notes. So if oh, you didn't cool. get that, you can take a look there and find it. Thank you. Thank you. And you have a good evening, Mary. Thank you, Karuna, for being on Conflict Managed. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I so appreciate the work that you are doing 
for senior leaders and the broader vision that leadership is for everybody. Everyone can learn these skills. I'm delighted to say that my new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, comes out in one week on August 1st. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.